Welcome to the Notes by Your Music Artist Impact Podcast, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. Here's your host, Paul Gibbs. Thank you, Bob, and welcome, guys. Good to be with you again. Paul Gibbs here. Uh, let's talk about Christmas songs. No, no, don't, don't, don't turn it off. Don't turn it off. Well, I'm not going to play any. Uh, I, I promise to make this somewhat interesting and useful for you. Okay, if not even maybe a little bit of entertainment. Okay. <laughs> well, now I know that we're late to file, to figure out what songs you're going to do on your Christmas album this year. I know that. Okay, you you were doing if you were going to do that, you would have done it months ago. But I, I want to give you a little bit of uh, a little little bit of background on Christmas songs. And you know, if you're going to do one next year, you really need to start thinking about this stuff even now. Okay, and even uh, just kind of file this stuff away uh, in case you want to, uh, in case you are planning on doing one next year, because you're really going to have to get serious about picking songs and et cetera, et cetera. All right, so this assumes that you either do not write original music or you do a combination of original music and cover songs. So I'm going to give you some stats here first. All right, so just so you you have the the. Uh, uh, the idea of what your potential original Christmas song could do. All right, so Spotify, uh, and this is this goes back. Uh, actually, I don't have the current stats, but this goes back in December of 2021. So two years ago, Spotify shared its most played Christmas songs, and of course, all I want for Christmas is a mute button. No, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, is you. And of course, that was for uh, done by Mariah Carey back in 1994. And All I Want for Christmas is You. And of course, you either love that song or you hate it. All right, I know that, that may be the case for all of these uh, top ones I'm going to do here, uh, talk to you about. So 1994, All I Want for Christmas is You. Uh, that was uh, in how many million streams? Wow, over like a billion or something like that. Let's see, how many? Um, she's made, a yeah, as of this writing, Mariah Carey made like $1.7 million from the streams of that song. Oh, that was of oh, I'm sorry. That was of as of 2019. In 2020, that number grew to 1.9 million dollars, and it's going to be you know it just keeps going up. Okay, um, she has made more than 60 million dollars just in streaming royalties on the song, and she makes about one penny every time somebody plays it. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's stop talking about that. Number two was, of course, or is Wham! with Last Christmas. That came out in 1984. Ariana Grande, her song called Santa Tell Me, uh, that came out in 2014. That's number three. Michael Buble came out in 2012 with It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. Actually, I like the older version better. But anyway, that's number four. Brenda Lee, still still making money on this one. 1958 with Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. And the year before that, Bobby Helms came out with Jingle Bell Rock. All right, moving back up to, to 2011, Justin Bieber came out with Mistletoe. 
And here's one of my favorites. It still is. 1963, Andy Williams with It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, and the Andy Williams version. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you put it into perspective, the years since the release of the corresponding song, um, Ariana Grande might just take the cake. Even though Santa Tell Me only places third, that song managed to accumulate 595 million plays. Wow. Okay. All right. So write a hit song and become a millionaire. Yeah, if it were only that simple. But anyway, so getting back to us regular folks, uh, let's talk about songs, Christmas songs that are in the public domain, because a lot of people want to... uh, Well, first of all, you can save some money because you don't need a mechanical license for a public domain song. So what makes a song in the public domain? Well, public domain is a term for songs where legal copyright protections have expired and no permission from the owner is required to use the song or the work. So... As of January 1st of this year, 2023, any song published before 1928 is in the public domain and does not require licensing for any use. Now, one exception is sound recordings, where public domain status is handled differently from songs, or that is, compositions. All right, so uh, you can check with your licensing company that you might use on that. All sound recordings published prior to 1923 are now public domain in the United States, where it's 1928 for songs. Okay. All right. So um, how do you know for sure that a song is in the public domain? Well, the easiest and best way to know is to submit it to a, song, a company that does get mechanical licenses for you. Uh, Easy Song Licensing is one of them. Uh, you can also look online and just uh, research Wikipedia, for example. Uh, try searching Wikipedia for the song title plus the word song at the end. For example, if you want to search like maybe uh, uh, Jingle Bells, just put Jingle Bells song and there you go. It will help you find a Wikipedia song page and there will give some information about when the song was published, etc., etc. There's also a website called pdinfo.com. That's for public domain info.com. pdinfo.com. You can search that as well. So, what do you do if, uh, and I know some of us have never, you know, we're never haven't put out an album before. We've all, we really have no idea how to uh, get the rights to record somebody else's song. So if you want to record this, a song that's not public domain, you're going to need what's called a mechanical license. And a mechanical license allows you to legally distribute your recording of a copyrighted song. In other words, one that you did not write, also known as a cover song. In other words, you're going to do a cover. You're going to make a cover of, uh, of someone else's song. Reputable manufacturers uh, such as, um, yeah, <laughs> disc makers, I'm sorry, uh, disc makers, for example, and others will require you to prove that you have a mechanical license 
before they will make CDs for you. And just a side note, uh, and I've run across this question many times, and many years ago I had to get it answered for myself, in fact. What if I don't sell my songs? What if I'm not selling CDs? Suppose I just make a recording and I want to uh, just give it away. Guess what? You still need a license. There's nothing in the wording that says that you have to make money off the CD, off the song, uh, in order to require a license. It doesn't matter. If you've made a recording of it and you're getting putting it out there, even giving it to mom and dad or brother and sister or uncle, whatever, you need to get a license for it, okay? All right. And uh, there are companies that can certainly do that for you. Do I need a mechanical license for a public domain song? Well, we've answered that question, but uh, just to clarify, no, you do not. You do not. Uh, if you submit, if you, again, if you've got a question, you just really don't know, you've looked online and you don't know whether a song is public domain, uh, go to one of the websites, for example, and they're not paying me to say this, Easy Song Licensing is just one of many licensing uh, ones that uh, I think CD Baby has their own, I believe. Uh, just contact them and ask them. Uh, typically, they will not charge you. Uh, just to let you know whether or not the song you want to do is in the public domain. So let's narrow it down now to Christmas songs. And I've got a list here. Uh, I've got a list of like uh, 70 or 80 Christmas songs. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, With the year of publication. And I just kind of, this is kind of interesting. Uh, You don't need to write this stuff down. You need to do your own research. But uh, there might be one here that you're thinking of uh, that you could make a note of as you're uh, as you're uh, making as you're hearing this podcast, making a list of possible songs to do next year. All right, so Angels from the Realms of Glory, written in 1867, and that is in the public domain. Angels We Have Heard on High, written, believe it or not, way back in 1700. That is in the public domain. All of these ones I'm reading to you are in the public domain. Auld Lang Syne, not a Christmas song or of a New Year's song. Uh, that was written in 1711. That's in the public domain. How about Away in the Manger? Yes, written in 1887, public domain. Bring a Torch, Jeanette Isabella. How many of you, I'm sure that you guys have covered that song many, many times. I know. I have never heard of it. You probably haven't either. But that was written, according to this, in 1553, and it's in the public domain. Uh, Next, the Coventry Carol. That's a traditional melody who doesn't really have a year of origin. Uh, I guess people really aren't sure, but that is in the public domain, along with Deck the Halls with Boughs of Holly. Yes, 1800, that was written in the public domain. Uh, beautiful hymn, one, one that I have uh, recorded, 1833, The First Noel in the public domain. Jesu Bambino. Yeah, beautiful song. Uh, That was in 1917 in the public domain. God rest you merry, gentlemen. Did you know that has a comma in it? I'm sorry, a comma? Yeah. God rest ye merry, gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. The title has a comma in it. It's God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen. In other words, God rest you merry, gentlemen. Okay. 
18, move on, 1827, public domain. Go tell it on the mountain. Yeah, that's 1865, and that's in the public domain. Good King Wenceslas. Yeah, he got run over by a reindeer. Oh, no, wait a minute, that was Grandma. All right, uh, 1853, Good King Wenceslas. Da, 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 da. Uh, oh, that, uh, I'm getting mixed up. Okay, Paul, stop singing. 1853, that was in the public domain. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Actually, that was 1979, and you're going to need a license for that one. Moving on, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the Newborn King, written in 1840. It's in the public domain. couple more. Here we come a caroling, or here might maybe here we come a wassailing. Anybody know what wassailing is? Look it up. Uh, that was written in 1850, and that is in the public domain. Another one, the holly and the ivy. Yeah, 1871 in the public domain. Uh, did you guys see I Heard the Bells? Did you see the movie? What was it last year? I heard the bells on Christmas Day. 1872, public domain. Uh, I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought three... Th- I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to edit that out. I saw three ships, 1833. No, that's not when I saw them, but I guess that's when they were, somebody saw them. (laughs) I saw three ships in 1833, and that's in the public domain. In the bleak midwinter, that's a traditional melody with no year of origin. That's in the public domain. And it came upon the midnight clear. I said I wasn't going to sing. I just, but I love Christmas songs. It came upon the midnight clear, 1850. And that is another one that's in the public domain. That is not by any means a comprehensive list. But that's just some of the ones that uh, are on this list that I have in front of me. So you've got lots of choices when you uh, may be putting together a list of Christmas songs for your EP that you're going to release next Christmas. And you want to get started early, okay? Uh, In fact, a lot of Christmas songs are recorded in the summer. Back in 2017, I did a Christmas album with my daughter Jess, and we recorded that in August. It was great. (laughs) Decorated the studio with Christmas lights for mood and all that stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Christmas songs. I just I thought I'd round out this little this episode here of the podcast with some interesting stuff. Uh, there's like forty nine thousand Christmas songs. Now the definition of a Christmas song may vary depending on your opinion, but in 2021, the Blocker B L O K U R Blocker. That's a music rights administration platform. They estimated there's like 49,000 Christmas songs in existence worldwide. Going back, in fact, to the, uh, let's go back to the 13th century. For example, Christmas caroling reportedly dates back to the 13th century when Roman St. Francis of Assisi, who incorporated songs of well wishes in his Christmas services. According to Arcadia Publishing, an American history and folklore publisher. Now, the oldest known Christmas song, hmm, I did not know this. In English, it's titled Jesus Illuminates All. 
I'm not going to try to pronounce the Latin version, okay? <laughs> but Jesus Illuminates All, composed by St. Hilary of Poitiers in the 4th century. And that's according to a report from Billboard. Well, you knew, probably, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, that Bing Crosby's 1942 song, White Christmas, is the best-selling Christmas Christmas single of all time, right? You knew that. Um, here's some things, though, you might not be aware of. And when we get done, you may still not care, but I'm going to tell you about them anyway. 32%. What, what is the most disliked? The most disliked Christmas song. Okay, I know everybody's got their opinion, and I do too. Okay, but it goes way back to 1953. This song has been not liked by by like 32% of the population uh, who, who care about such things uh, since 1953. And of course, it was recorded by none other than Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt. And, of course, it is Santa Baby. I'm sorry. Uh, reportedly, again, the most disliked Christmas song in the United States, and according to a poll conducted by YouGov America. Okay. But on the other hand, uh, about 68% of people surveyed said they like the song. Okay, I don't know why. I No, I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. Okay. How about the longest Christmas song ever written? Well, okay, I have one here for you. How about eight hours and 56 minutes? No, I am not going to play it. Okay. All right. The world's longest Christmas song is believed to be a song called the 179 Days of Christmas. It was created in 2018 by Joran Cull and A.J. Ng. Uh, they were two Toronto, Canada musicians. They created and released an extended version of Frederick Austin's Christmas Carol, The Twelve Days of Christmas, which was actually written back around uh, 1780. And their song, is 8 hours and 56 minutes. I've never heard it, um, and I'll leave that right there. Uh, how about Silent Night? Joseph Moore's 1816 Carol, Silent Night, is reportedly the most liked Christmas song in the U.S. Yeah, that, that, I think that's fitting, amen? According to a poll, again, conducted by YouGov America. Market research uh, surveyed 1,200 American adults. They were surveyed in 2020, and 13% said Silent Night is their favorite Christmas song. Yeah, and that uh, which reportedly tied with Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. Now, let's talk about some of the history, interesting facts here I want to share with you. Of course, singing holiday songs goes uh, together with baking Christmas treats, learning the story of Santa Claus and Rudolph and all of that kind of stuff. And everything, of course, has a story. So let's talk about Rudolph. And, and some of you knew about this, but in 1939, the Great Depression was starting to fade and World War II was lurking. 
And you know what? Christmas cheer, uh, I'm sure, was in short supply. Well, Montgomery Ward Department Store headquarters took it upon themselves to get children and families into the holiday spirit by creating a free book for kids. So advertising guy Robert May came up with the idea of a reindeer as his main character. And according to History.com, quote, As he peered out at the thick fog that had drifted off Lake Michigan, he came up with the idea of a misfit reindeer ostracized because of his luminescent nose, who used his physical abnormality to guide Santa's sleigh and save Christmas, unquote. Now, May was a limerick writer, and he loved alliteration. So he brainstormed different names that began with the letter R. And some of the, some of the ones he tried were Reginald, Rodney, and Rollo. <laughs> but Rudolph stuck because Rollo the Red-Nosed Reindeer and others of his uh, ideas just wouldn't make it. They just wouldn't be the same. So the book was a huge success for Montgomery Ward. But they signed over the copyright to May and uh, to, uh, yeah, what was his name? Robert. There we go. Robert May. Uh, they signed over the copyright to him in 1947. See, it must have been a work for hire. He wrote the, wrote the book for Montgomery Ward. And then they signed the copyright back over to him in 1947. And two years later... His brother-in-law, you might remember, Johnny Marks, yeah, a songwriter, he put Rudolph's story to music. And it's noted that a Bing Crosby was given the first crack to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but uh, Crosby turned it down, and they offered it to none other than Gene Autry. Yeah, Gene Autry. Uh, somewhat of a mistake, maybe? I don't know, not really. Uh, two million copies of the song were sold, and the song, of course, continues to be one of the best-selling songs of all time. Now, we talked a few minutes about, ago about uh, recording Christmas songs in the summer, and Leroy Anderson wrote this next song we're going to be talking about, but it, you know, it really doesn't have anything to do with Christmas. It's, the song... <laughs> It's one of the most popular Christmas songs in the United States every year. And uh, it's, in, yeah, in, in 2009 and 2012, and then again in 2015, it was named the most popular piece of Christmas music in the United States. And no, Mariah Carey did not sing it. Okay. <laughs> and which is pretty impressive because, as I said, Christmas is not even mentioned in the lyrics. Leroy Anderson did not even set out to write a Christmas piece. His intentions were to convey the entire winter season through the imagery of a sleigh ride. Yeah, much in the way that Mozart did with his piece of the same name. I did not know that. Okay. Well, anyway, the song Sleigh Ride remains one of the most favorite uh, popular Christmas songs. Um, it was... Uh, Let's see, it was um, written during a heat wave 
in July. And while Leroy was working out in the yard of his summer home in Connecticut, the idea came to him, and the song premiered on May 4th in 1948 by the Boston Pops Orchestra at Symphony Hall in Boston. It's interesting, just a side note, that that song, the most popular version or the premiere version, was an instrumental, even though the song did have words to it. Yeah. All right, so songwriter Hugh Martin was fooling around with a little melody back in 1944, but you know what? It just wasn't working. So, uh, quote, so he played with it for two or three days and then threw it in a wastebasket. Well, it's a good thing it didn't stay there. His songwriting partner named Blaine uh, made him get it out of the trash. <laughs> yeah, He said, no, no, don't throw that thing away. Well, the song ended up being a very popular song called Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Martin was actually writing the song for the film Meet Me in St. Louis which is one of the top 20 Christmas movies of all time. But supposedly, as the story goes, the song was just a little bit too melancholy for Judy Garland's character in the movie. So Martin and Blaine rewrote the lyrics to be cheerier. The producers said, quote, It's a sad scene, but we wanted sort of an upbeat song, which will make it even sadder if she's smiling through her tears, unquote. So Martin said, then we wrote the song that you know in the movie. The song was a hit and has been remade by artists from Frank Sinatra to Tori Amos to Twisted Sister and about a gazillion others. Yeah. Well, let's talk about sleighs. Yeah, we just talked about sleigh ride a moment ago. But you know, the song that we know as Jingle Bells actually began life as the one-horse open sleigh. Hmm. Well, the songwriter was James Lord Pierpont of Medford, Massachusetts, and he did not plan this as a holiday tune. No, he wrote it as a Thanksgiving song in 1850 for the children in his father's Sunday school class, according to AmericanMusicPreservation.com. But the song proved so popular that they sang it again at Christmas, and the rest, as we know, is history. I don't know how they changed the title or when, but it says Jingle Bells were added to the title in 1859. And now the 1943 version, probably the first first popular version, by Bing Crosby, and the Andrews Sisters is actually, yeah, the still, still the most popular version today. And uh, just as a side note, James Pierpont was a nephew of John Pierpont Morgan, the famous wealthy New York financier and founder of the Pierpont, Pierpont, yeah, Pierpont Morgan Library. All right, so let's finish up with this one. What was the first... A holiday standard, if you will, holiday song, the standard, sung by an African-American singer. Any idea what that might have been? Yeah, some of you know, don't you? Yeah. Well, according to PerformingSongwriter.com, another song was written in the heat of July. Yeah, it was written by Mel Torme, of course, who spotted the potential in those lyrics 
sitting on the piano of his songwriter partner, Bob Wells. Yeah. Quote, he says, uh, It's so hot today. I thought I'd write something to cool myself off, Bob Wells said. All I could think of was Christmas and cold weather, unquote. Well, Torme banged out a melody, and of course, the rest is history. And per his autobiography, he wrote, Improbable though it may sound, the Christmas song was actually completed in about 45 minutes. Yeah. And history was made, yeah, when Nat King Cole became the first black American to record a holiday standard using this hit tune. And here's a little bit of uh, little-known trivia for you. When Nat King Cole recorded this, in the first pass, the first pressing, if you will, there was actually, they released this version uh, as a record. He added a, quote, superfluous S to the last line. In other words, he sang it this way, to see if reindeers really know how to fly. Reindeers. But he was a stickler for perfection. So then he decided to record it again, taking care to sing Reindeer. Yeah. And now that first pressing, that first version, is a highly sought-after collector's item. If you have a version where Nat King Cole is saying to see if reindeers really know how to fly, that's valuable. Okay, so uh, Nat King Cole's version is one of the top Christmas songs of all time. Some interesting stuff there for you. And going back, I'd hope that if you if you haven't, if you have thought about maybe doing a Christmas album, do it. Do it. It's it's great. Um, You know, mix it up if you want to with original songs um, and maybe well some well known covers. If you don't write music. Just do some well-known covers. Maybe find, a, maybe mix it up. Here's here's an idea for you. When you do your Christmas album, do some of the well-known songs, and then find find a song or two that really reaches out and touches you. That's maybe lesser known, and put that on there as well. Yeah, you can't go. I tell you, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. Do it early. Plant it in the spring. Get it recorded by August or September at the very latest. Uh, you know, it, I'll tell you, it's, it's going to be great. And then let us know here at Notes by Our Music that you've done it. And we will certainly consider getting it added to our Christmas rotation, which starts, by the way, uh, our Christmas holiday music starts December December 1st, runs right through midnight of December 31st. And that's... Uh, we have been doing this for five years now as of the recording of this podcast. Um, so you can check out Notes by a Radio at notesbyerradio.com uh, or on your phone. Just download the free Notes by Radio app and you can listen there. Uh, all kinds of uh, music and pod, uh, excuse me, not podcast, devotionals and things on there. So please do check it out. Uh, What's your favorite? I'd like to I'd love to know. What is your favorite and your least favorite Christmas song? You want to let us know about that? We'll, you know, if we get a, get a few responses, we'll uh, we'll talk about it. 
Yeah, info at notespiremusic.com. Info at notespiremusic.com. You can follow Notespire Music on Facebook and Instagram at Notespire Music. You can also find us on YouTube at Notespire Music TV. And uh, don't forget to check out the other two podcasts that we do. Uh, the Just Got Music Hour is a one-hour podcast. comes out every Friday. That's music and fun from yours truly. And then we have the Notespire Music Artist Insight. The Artist Insight, which is interviews with independent Christian artists. And as all three of the podcasts, of course, including this one, are on your favorite podcast site. All right. Thank you for spending time with me. Uh, Don't forget to uh, subscribe uh, wherever you can. Be notified when a new podcast comes out. And until we talk again, please do take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. I'm Paul Gibbs. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for the Artist Impact Podcast, a production of Notespire Music, LLC. At Notespire Music, we empower independent Christian musicians to grow their God-given music potential by refining their craft and extending their music ministry reach. Notespire Music, helping you gain confidence, grow your talent, and advance your impact. For more information, visit notespiremusic.com. And join us next time for the Notespire Music Artist Impact.